0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Worker Being podcast. We are taking a small hiatus to regroup around some exciting things that will be coming to all of you very very soon. In the meantime, we will be re-airing some of our favorite interviews with our favorite badass women just in time for Women's History Month. As always, you can find us on our website in the meantime at workerbeing.com. You can email us contact at WorkerBeing.com, and you can join our brand new community to have deeper conversations about workplace wellness at WorkerBeing.com slash community. Enjoy the awesome interviews we have scheduled for you, and we'll talk to you all soon.
1: Hi, I'm Patricia Gobarik. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being podcast. Today, we are so lucky to have Maggie Goff with us. She is the Director of Member Experience at Wellcoa. She has tons of experience uh, in the workplace wellness arena. We're very lucky to have her here today, and she's going to talk to us about her philosophy on wellness. Um, so thank you so much, Maggie, for being here.
2: Oh, it's such a pleasure. I always enjoy my conversations with the two of you.
1: Yeah, we love talking and with you enjoy. too. <laughs> so we're, we're <laughs> super happy to have you here. Um, and uh, so to kick things off, why don't you tell us more about your work at Wellcoa, uh, kind of what you've been doing on a day-to-day basis, and talk a little bit more about your definition of wellness, uh, both yourself and and as an employee at Wellcoa.
2: Yeah, so uh, my role at Wellcoa is really to, um, just as my title says, you know, look at the member experience and make sure that our members have all of the things that they need and that we're responsive to that and that their experience with us is a meaningful one. So I sign a lot of my emails, you know, I'm looking forward to supporting your success and I mean it because that's what I uh, really understand my role to be is to support employers and uh, vendors in their role advocating for others. So uh, you asked me, what is my, uh, you know philosophy around well-being and you know it has I have been in corporate wellness my entire career. I my education is as a dietitian and I've worked internally for organizations, I've worked as a consultant and I've even worked in the vendor space for a biometric screening company and you know initially I really understood population health or wellness to look like implementing interventions to support the health of others so that everyone could kind of be thriving, you know, and that looked a certain way. And I had this really pivotal moment in my personal life where, um, my marriage was a mess. I was suffering from postpartum anxiety that had gone undiagnosed for about a year. And I was, um, additionally, you know, outside of my values and my work. And so, you know, thinking about even just our values and our work is not something that I would have previously even talked about in terms of well-being the way that I had traditionally or conventionally considered it. So I had this moment where I was like, all of the things that I would have done to support others would not have supported me in that time. And that was a pretty serious rumble of like, what are we even doing here? Are we actually serving people in meaningful ways? And what, if the answer is no, then what should that look like? And so, you know, I had five years of experience running my own business and just being a student, like being a student again of the whole thing and saying, you know, what are other people going through? What would it look like to serve them in this time of need and where's the science to back all of this up, right? And so I kind of backed into uh, all of the IO psych world, which I wish I would have had from the get-go, but um, needless to say, you know, I have really worked to evolve what that, the way that I understand the work that we're here to do as employers and so, you know, what I would say now to individuals is that well-being is not something that you create a destination for. So you don't say like, okay, the healthiest version, the most thriving version of myself would look like this, so I'm going to create this strategic plan to get there, uh, which, is, which is the conventional model that we're all given to think about our well-being, Right. Um, so we have all the images of the people who are living a better life than the one that we're living, and we, there, then we're sold the tool to get us there, right? And so instead, rather than thinking about something I have to work toward that my where my well being is not something I have with me all the time, unless I'm doing the strategic plan, instead my well being is like a light that I hold inside of myself. And that light can be amplified or diminished on any given day by things inside of my control and things outside of my control. And so in a lot of ways, my job is to take good care of my own needs throughout the day. And so sometimes caring for my well-being might look like showing up for a tough conversation with somebody in my life, or sometimes it might look like, um, Preparing a healthy meal. Either one of those things are meaningful, right? But both of them were simply something that I made the choice to do in real time to meet my own needs. And when we think about our well being in that way as something that's fluid and complex and dynamic, that makes population health work even harder, right? That makes corporate wellness even harder because now you're serving, you know, thousands of employees sometimes who all have their own complex and dynamic needs that change on a daily basis which ultimately means that as employers our job is to offer a lot of supports in a lot of different ways and to be flexible and supportive of our employees ability to take care of themselves and even before we do that we have to trust that our employees actually want to take care of themselves right we We exist in this model sometimes where it's like, well, we have to get people to take good care of themselves. And so we're going to create all this motivation to do it. You know, people inherently want to take good care of themselves. We have a lot of barriers to do that in our modern world. So how can we first trust that people will take good care of themselves if we create a nourishing environment for them to do so? And secondly, how do we become flexible and responsive and and needs supportive?
0: So I really love everything you just said about the fluidity of wellness and how you've come to kind of that definition and realization. And it actually reminds me a lot about like work-life balance, right? Like people are starting over the past few years, been talking about balance being really individualized and it might look different from day to day, from year to year, from life phase to life phase. And it's. I agree that wellness can look like that too, right? It depends on what's happening in that moment, in that day, in that week, in that year, as to what you might need to take care of yourself and get yourself into a thriving space. Um, so I really love that journey. And when we think about workplace wellness, uh, more specifically, what is it about the workplace that makes wellness particularly important in that space. And in your new role here in WALCOA, I'd love to hear what you're doing to promote that workplace wellness.
2: Well, you know, um, when I, one of my first jobs really building programs for wellness was for college students. And I mean, I was probably in that job for two years before I actually really understood why in the world a university would care to help people from the age of 18 to 23 take care of themselves. Like, they don't really have a thought about what health means at that age. Um, And we feel pretty resilient at that age. And so, you know, you come to realize that a university's mission is to create um, or to cultivate individuals, not just who are intelligent, but who are civically engaged and meaningful contributors to our society. And so of course we need for them to be able to care for themselves and to meet their own needs when they have them. And so all of a sudden it began to make sense. And so when we ask the question, why the workplace, because we spend the majority of our life in the workplace. I mean, it's as simple as that. And people give their lives to the success of our companies So the very least that we can do is ask ourselves the question, in what way can I make this a better experience for somebody who's giving of themselves towards my success, my goals, right? And I think when we think of it as simple as that, do we really need more justification?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I'm wondering kind of, uh, how that uh, argumentation or what or you know the, the question that you just posed, when you're talking to workplaces, how, how does that messaging work? and what are some of the dangers if people don't listen to that message?
2: Well, I think the messaging has shifted over the past five years and I think this is in part to experts like yourself being committed to this uh, shift in our thinking around, Workplace wellness and um, myself being a part of that do- dialogue. But koa has done a phenomenal job over the past five years of really cultivating this language and shifting the direction of the conversation around workplace wellness. So, you know, we had been focusing on a very medicalized model of well being where. The responsibility to health and thriving was mostly on the employee. And employers don't like to hear this because they've invested a lot of time and money into the, these initiatives over the last couple of years. But once they put those interventions into play, the fulfillment of those interventions was solely the responsibility of the employee. And so what we've what Walcoa has done a, a phenomenal job of is helping lead us out of that shift and helping employers to safely walk into the space where they can say, you know, this didn't work well and we probably could do better and here's what that might look like. And, you know, at the end of the day, especially, I mean, especially post-COVID, we all are hearing in the headlines, like, and we don't even need the headlines because we're living it in a lot of workplaces, We're hearing um, that there's going to be a mass migration, right? People post-COVID are more willing to change jobs than they were before. And that's already on top of a generation of millennials who are already comfortable changing jobs more than the generation before. And so when you are a business and you're thinking about the type of people that you attract, and their engagement in your workplace, and their longevity in your workplace, and their willingness to leave, if it's not a thriving environment, then you have enough business case at that point to recognize the damage that it will do to your organization if you're unwilling to look at the environment in which you're placing people. So, Um, I got one of those notices from LinkedIn, I think it was two days ago. And, you know, they do those things sometimes where they say, you know, do you have advice on this topic? And if so, post it with the hashtag, whatever, whatever, right. They, for these conversations, they want to drive on their platform, but it was about this mass migration of employees. And it was about, um, what advice would you give someone who is looking for a new job, who wants to shift after this time of COVID. And my advice is ask your next potential future employer, how did you treat people during COVID? And how has that changed the way that you care for employees now? That one question will tell you so much about what it's like to work in that organization. And I think, I think we'll have more and more people asking questions like that. And from what I've read so far, you know, if, if you're in leadership in an organization and you have struggled with the attitudes and beliefs of millennials, like there's a ruder awakening coming with Gen Z, like they simply won't take a job if it doesn't meet their needs. And I quite frankly, am excited
0: about that. (laughs) Yeah. So I completely agree that people are becoming less and less willing to put up with uh, jobs that don't necessarily fit in their life too, which I think is the message that we all in this room talking today agree on, right? Is work should be able to mesh with both work and life. And you've talked a bit about The types of things organizations need to be looking out for, especially post-COVID, on why it's a problem if they neglect wellness at work. If they're neglecting making environments where people can thrive and and not have uh, the challenges, you know, of coming into a workplace where they're not going to be fulfilled and are going to have a gap in their life or it's going to create strain or stress in other parts of their life. And I love that. This time in COVID has had people take a little bit more of a critical look at things. Not only employees, some organizations have done a really good job, as you said, asking that question. You can get an understanding as to whether an organization actually took the time to evaluate how they treat employees, how they function as a business, um, and made changes, and others didn't. So, this whole idea of a migration just continues just feeds off of the fact that there are some organizations that are unwilling to change even when they're being smacked in the face with something that is telling them they have to change now. So I think that's a great piece of advice for people is to really think about how they can understand what the organization has done and get a really good sense as to whether that company is really focusing on employee wellness and employees experience and thriving and creating a sustainable work environment versus organizations that maybe haven't done anything or haven't done in a lot to prepare for this post-COVID era where we're now a little bit, we've been shaken into awareness of the importance of some of the things that we need from a thriving perspective. Um, so in addition to what's going on within organizations, what's been going on with COVID, one thing we've been thinking a lot about has been the culture of wellness that has kind of been popping up. It's been happening pre-COVID. And obviously with COVID, this conversation about wellness in our social media culture, um, this awareness of self-care has continued to grow. And it's almost creating, well, it was creating this check the box type of stressor around wellness, right? It's like, well, if I'm not doing all of the things kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier and how wellness can change and shift over time. Sometimes it's, you know, depending on your day, you need to do one thing, a different day you might need to do something else. What do you think are the biggest concerns or issues stemming from some of this bombardment of wellness culture and this pressure to do all of the things to focus on your wellness?
2: Yeah, well, I want to go back a little bit to the previous conversation because your response to that made me think of something, you know, when we talk about workplaces being uh, an environment that can support an individual's ability to thrive. One of the things that we've done for far too long is had a narrative about the individual, about individual resilience and its ability to cultivate success. Right? So we, as employers, we have exploited individual resilience. And that's just a fact. And what we have now are a group of people who are saying, I have done all of the things that I was supposed to do for success and thriving, and I'm not okay. And so it's important right now that we listen to those things, because they're the things that we've had the the privilege in leadership to overlook because people have been working so hard to be successful and be resilient all on their own because that's what we told them was the ladder, that they had to climb, right? And so the truth is, is that our entire society is built on communal systems. So why and how this narrative of individual resilience came about I'm a non-anthropologist, so I can't answer that. But the truth is, is that what we have right now are a group of people who are saying, for a, a multitude of reasons, I've done all the things, and I'm not thriving, and I'm also tired of feeling like I'm the one that's failing. So, what else is happening here that's impacting my well-being? And we've just become curious about that. And that's when we start to say, you know, this policy at work around maternity leave really did not do me any favors, right? Or, um, okay, so you've offered this wellness program, but it's not on paid time. So how does, again, all the responsibility is on me to make everything happen for you and for me, right? And, you know, we've had... I mean, the statistics about women who've left the workplace during COVID are just so staggering and, and saddening because it is a function of the fact that we have, as leaders, done a poor job of listening to people's needs for so long. And so to your point about now everybody wants to talk about self-care, the danger I see in this is that it? Is focuses the narrative back on the individual resilience, right? Now, I want to be good at meeting my own needs. Part of me meeting my own needs is sometimes being honest about the barrier or the challenge that isn't mine to own. And so I can say, okay, I'm really struggling because of this dynamic? What if what about this is in my control? And what about it is outside of my control? And so self-care is important. So long as you're willing to say, these are the things that aren't in my control, that I'm not responsible for. And it doesn't matter how much resilience I have, I'm not getting over that thing without somebody else's support. And that's where we talk about community care, right? And I think that employers need to recognize themselves as a part of an individual's community care. And that's, that's a shift. So I would say to people, one, do not follow a million self-help gurus on Instagram or Facebook. I've done it. I can tell you from personal experience. You just start to feel like everything's wrong with you all the time because there's a million different things that you could do for self care that you're not doing, right? And tune it out and tune inward. You already are aware because you are living your own experience of where your needs are met and where they aren't. And if you can think about your well being like a light that can be diminished or amplified, you'll start to become aware of the ways and the situations that diminish your well-being and then get curious about what you need to change that situation. Maybe you need to get out of specific relationships because they're draining. Maybe you need to invest in other relationships because they're nourishing. And like none of this is easy, but what I want for everybody to know is that you can trust yourself when it comes to your own well-being. It's not that everyone else has the answer for you, which is what we keep, like the industry keeps telling people that we all have the answers for them, but the leaders in well-being are not going to get this right for people until people can learn to trust themselves and really communicate their needs, which we're doing, individuals are doing right now, and it's up to the employers and the leaders to listen
1: Yeah I mean I really love everything that you're saying because what you're what you're sort of uh, you know implying is that we need a multi-level approach that it can't just be that individuals feel like they're sort of alone on this journey trying to figure things out and there's a million different offerings and a million different pieces of advice that people are giving you about what to do mostly things that work for them right or that they're trying to sell you Um, and then uh, you know you're looking inward and saying to yourself well I still don't feel balanced and everybody's telling me that I should and I'm trying all these things that people are telling me that I should do that are going to you know I'll snap my fingers and if I do this I'll be balanced and I'm operating within a system that is actively sabotaging my balance in many ways so I'm blaming myself for problems that are outside of myself and I'm trying to solve more things that I'm possibly able to solve anyway, and I'm also trying to solve them with things that aren't deriving from my personal needs but are deriving from what other people are saying that I need. So this is obviously a big problem, Um, and um, I'm curious when you're thinking about, okay, so Organizations need to provide, I I would assume, um, you know, something that's on your mind is organizations need to provide a structure in which wellness is more possible and in which wellness is more possible to be tailored to people. Um, and maybe also provide some time for that reflection or, um, or space for people to figure out what it is that they need. So those are some things that are coming to mind for me as you're talking about what might be possible solutions. But I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what you see. Uh, You talk about this idea of a light that's inside of you as kind of a more helpful way of thinking about wellness. But what are some of the practices that companies might undertake or that individuals might undertake so that they are finding wellness in a more restorative way as opposed to a more achievement-oriented focus?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I can speak from my own personal experience because as I said, I've been, I've been um, in the student learning mode for the past five years. And that's the thing too, is like we're always evolving and we're always learning. And so we never arrive and that's okay. So, you know, there's no like, and now I finally got it right. And everything in my life has just come into focus, right? Like doesn't, it just, we just have to stop saying that. But so when COVID hit, um, I live in a small two bedroom house, one bathroom, which is lovely because I have less cleaning to do. Like it was good for my well being because I had less household responsibilities, my husband and I did. And so we could live our lives more and manage less. But then when COVID hit, we had three children and two adults all working out of one household that did not work, it was not big enough. And so you know, my husband and I, after like the first couple of weeks, were totally frazzled. We're a mess. And it was like, okay, like, what do we, how do we make this better? Right? That, that's the first question. It's like, what do I need to make my current situation a little bit better? And so um, we both decided some amount of time where we were completely off duty so that like, there was at least like one chunk of time during the day that somebody wasn't asking me for something that I could just focus on myself. And so we did the thing every week where we would compare calendars and find every single day, like an hour for him to be off duty and an hour for me to be off duty. And, um, what I did initially with my time was I did the thing that I know not to do. And I set the strategic plan like every day during this hour, I'm going to insert, you know, self-improvement plan. And so I found myself resenting that time because now I had more things to achieve when I was already giving it my all the rest of the day. And so I quickly learned to say, like, what is it that I need? And that looks different depending on the day. So some days I was lonely and I needed to call a friend to like experience my own friendship. Some days I was like overwhelmed by the amount of social interaction that was not actually meaningful connection. Right. And I just needed to be alone for a little bit and turn on some music and go for a walk. And some days I needed to do yoga because I didn't get to move my body as much as I wanted to being stuck in the house all the time. So like this idea that what we need can be different on a daily basis and that it takes some amount of inward attention to our own needs is the first thing I think for individuals. And to not say every day during this time for my well-being, I will insert whatever self-improvement plan, right? So I think that's the first shift for individuals. For employers right now, there are a lot of different practices and policies. I mean, because of the disruption that we've just experienced, let's just say that the sky is the limit within legal bounds to serve your employees right now, right? We're seeing, uh, I read um, one organization they're a startup. They started in COVID, like they launched and COVID hit and they grew substantially even despite COVID. So you've got a startup culture in the midst of COVID. And they decided that when, what they found out was that when one person on the team was going on vacation, they just came back overwhelmed because everybody else was still working. And so they instituted a model where, At the the last week of every quarter, the whole team goes on vacation. They're just off. And they've communicated that to their clients. And it's meaningful rest for the whole team. And everybody comes back nourished and fulfilled, right? So I wish I could say, I I read the article and I don't remember the company. But, you know, those those are the examples that we're seeing right now. Um, And so... I've seen a lot, a lot of different things. I could go into a lot of examples, but here's the one thing I want for employers to take away right now. I see uh, companies diverging in two different paths. One set of company is going, okay, what does it look like to bring people back? Or not back, but what does it look like to create work post-COVID, right? Now the restrictions are lifted, we can create whatever we want, what does that look like? And being in touch with employees about what that looks like and building community around how we create work together going forward. And that can happen whether you are a 10 person company or a 110,000 person company, because even in those really large companies, you have divisions, right? You can subset into smaller groups and move down to really listen to people, get to a more granular level. And then I see companies who are driven by leadership, who just wants things back to normal, because it's what leadership is comfortable with. And in those companies, you know, I've already been called by one company to ask me to do a presentation for their employees to deal with uh, self-care in the midst of your discomfort with coming back. That's not how we solve that problem, right? Like I can tell your employees how they can better meet their own needs and and um, t- trust themselves and invest in some self-care. But if at the end of the day, you're putting them in a situation that isn't going to work and they aren't going to thrive, then you might as well not pay for me to come do a presentation for you. And so I'm seeing this, Uh, divergence between these two kind of clear pathways. So my advice to any employer right now would be pause and listen and be willing to innovate and be creative to meet the needs of people as we carefully make our way into a new world.
0: So I wanted to, Uh, well, I'm just processing some of what you said, and I think it's really important that organizations are doing that listening and everything that you've mentioned there I've seen it done well so far and I've seen it done really really poorly Um, and I think you're right like we can't just be adding that burden to employees at this time and they You know, they've already been trying to figure out what to do from a self-care perspective all year. So let's not worry about that as an organization and employers need to be really focusing on themselves and asking the right questions and using the answers, actually using the answers to make an impact on what they're going to be moving forward with. So I think that's really great advice. I know we're getting close to time, so I wanted to give us um, some, an opportunity to allow you to kind of follow up on anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about, anything else you wanted to share with us. You know, I think you've given a lot of us some great food for thought. Um, I'm really excited for people to listen and think about this idea of wellness being more of a fluid state um, that is about your needs in the moment versus like an end goal. And I really appreciate that approach. Anything else you want to share about that or anything else that you think we should be telling, you know, leaders, employers uh, that they need to be focusing on beyond what you just mentioned?
2: Yeah, I think I'll close it like this. You know, um, when you're a leader and you're in a situation where, you know, someone like myself is saying, you know, you need to take some time and you need to listen to people and you need to serve their needs. If that makes you agitated and uncomfortable, then you need to get out of leadership because that is what leadership is. And so, you know, it is our responsibility if we choose to step into leadership to do that hard work, even when it's uncomfortable. And one of the things, I wanna, you know, bring this back to the leadership within this, you know, the people who do human resources and uh, corporate wellness work, because, you know, we have been the COVID command centers of our businesses, and my what so help, what I value so much about my role at Walcoa is that I get to serve you. I get to serve the people who are doing this really hard work for their employees, or as consultants, or you know as. Uh, Insurance companies or brokers, like all of these people who are actively in our community who care very deeply about the outcomes for employees right now. And I really appreciate the opportunity to care for your well being. This is my leadership in this industry. And I am, for all of you listening, if you're in that role, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to serve you and I'm grateful for the work that you're doing to advocate for the people that you serve.
1: Yeah I mean I think that um, this idea of having a legacy of wellness is coming to mind for me in terms of what you're discussing. It's like what are you leaving behind as a leader not just you know looking back after years and years of doing things but like on a regular basis what is the impact of your leadership and um, you had asked the question early on, like, why not? What's, what's the argument against trying to honor the humanity in people and that their wellness and well-being is important and making that part of your leadership, um, I think is really key. So I, I really appreciate that you're calling that out. And I think more and more, I'm hoping that more and more people will find that uh, uh, compelling um, purpose for their leadership or part of their purpose for their leadership in organizations moving forward. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, and uh, to sort of wrap things up of all the wonderful things that you said, um, we have a final fun question. So we've been talking about a lot of uh, serious wellness uh, related content and info. And so we have a fun question for you to sort of end things on. And uh, it goes well actually with your theme of tailoring uh, your wellness to yourself, because we're asking a question about what you find most useful and maybe that'll change day to day, but think about it on average. And, um, If you could have free, unlimited access to any wellness-related, like, practice, service, tool, like, anything for the rest of your life, what would you pick and why would you pick it?
2: A meal planning service, maybe a chef, depending how, um, you know, eager I am in the moment that I was receiving this free unlimited thing for a life. (laughs) A nanny and hmm, what would the third be? Uh, a
1: pass to Disney World. Cool. Those are good. <laughs> I like that. I love that. Pass the Disney World, a Disney. nanny and a chef. I mean, that sounds like a dream. I'll, uh, I mean, I don't have a use for the nanny currently, but uh, I will certainly take the chef in the Disney World. And then in Disney World, you can go see Mickey as a chef, which is exciting. So... <laughs> <laughs> you could pair the two together. Um, that's awesome. Yes. Full circle. Um, well, thank you so much for, uh, your time and talking with us. We really appreciate it. We've learned so much and we know our listeners have as well. And we're so excited by the work that you're doing at WALCOA.
2: Oh, I'm so grateful for the work that you guys are doing and, um, just so deeply appreciate your leadership in our community.
0: Oh, thank you. We appreciate that. And again, thanks for joining us and for all of our listeners. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to Maggie for joining us today and talking about how to define wellness and all the great things that are happening over at Welcoa. You'll find in the show notes, we've included uh, links to Welcoa as well as Maggie's email address. If you want to reach out and speak to her directly, go right ahead. She's really willing to connect with all of our listeners. Also wanted to make sure that all of you remember you can reach out to us at any time if you have any questions or anything that you need. You can email us at contact@workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website workerbeing.com and on social media at workerbeing. Also wanted to make sure you all knew we are going to be taking a little mini summer break. So there will be no episodes on July 1st and July 8th. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer
1: and produced by Allie Johnson.